Amen. I'm Pastor Steve. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today ready to hear from you. I pray that you'd prepare our hearts, our minds, our emotions, our relationships, our time, our entire beings to hear what you have to say and respond to it. May your spirit move among us, point out what we need to hear, and enable us to respond. Amen. So, as Pastor Andrew mentioned, we are starting a new series. Um, we're talking about God's vision for his people in ten words. And uh, we'll explain the ten words is actually what Scripture says. Ten words, we call it ten commandments or instructions or something else, but ten words is the literal Hebrew. So you can see the, uh, the tablets they were written on there in your, on your bulletin. We're, we're beginning this series focusing on that. Today is the beginning of that and the foundation of that that is absolutely critical. So I'm starting with a question for you. Who or what is your king? I want you to think about this week. This week, what did you do? How did you spend your money? How did you spend your time? What did you look at, read, think about? Um, um, who did you, what did you talk about? And who did you depend on? Who did you fear? Who did you love? Pastor Andrew gave a great illustration last week of when he was going 300 feet down on a rope and that was the one thing he could depend on. Um, most of us like to have kind of a net, um, you know, with lots of different uh, things holding us, more of a, a web. But God really wants us to depend on him alone like that. So who do you fear? Who do you love? All those other things... Are they trustworthy? And do you really trust God? So who do you serve? Who do you obey? This is our, our year of increasing trust. Uh, who or how do you choose your goals? Your plans for your time, for your money, your schedule. How, how did you choose those things this week? Why don't you think about it? Um, how did that go this week? So we're looking at God's vision for his people, specifically in Israel. We're looking at the Torah, which means guidance. It means the Bible's first five books, Genesis to Deuteronomy. It's mostly a story, but the whole story is guidance. Within it, there are laws and instructions. So sometimes we call it God's law, but that's really a misnomer. We want to call it guidance. And it's mostly a story that includes some laws. And we talked about the question of, is the Torah for today? And we said the real question is, how is the Torah for today? How do we understand what it meant then? So we're going to talk about that and what was the purpose of it and how do we apply to our current context today? So a little review, we uh, started in, well, in Exodus, we started back with Genesis, um, but then Joseph ended up in Egypt. They were in Egypt. Remember, Moses ran away and then God met him at this mountain called Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, and uh, said, I am Yahweh and I'm commissioning you to go do this thing. He went back to Egypt. He said, Yahweh says this, I am your God and I want to release you. And he went to Pharaoh and Pharaoh said, who is Yahweh? And Yahweh showed him, demonstrated to him and to the people who he was by these mighty acts of justice, by um, 
the back of his hand against Egypt and the, the, the palm of his hand lifting up and delivering the Israelites. And, they, and then on the travel to Sinai, he showed who he was by giving provision and protection and other things. Now they're at the mountain of Sinai and God came down on this mountain. So we remember back in Eden, people refused God and so they were separated from God. Then God showed up with Abram to try to fix this relationship and made a covenant and a relationship with him. And then God is showing up again and showing them who he is. The question, who is Yahweh? The Israelites are still trying to figure this out. And this revelation at Mount Sinai is saying, this is who I am. And as you act these things out, as you believe these things and do these things, you will know who I am. And you will even demonstrate who I am. But he shows up. He chooses to come and be with the people on this mountain. Later on, we're going to see how he transports that into the tabernacle. But um, God's presence was there. And he began with this statement we keep coming back to. He says to the Israelites, You've seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. They had said, We need to go to this mountain and worship. And now God's brought them there so they can worship. I, he brought them to himself with this great deliverance, like an eagle who's, eagle who's so protective of his young and also so fierce with those who might harm them. Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant. We're going to focus on that word today. You will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. So, he gives them this offer. I've done all this for you. I've brought you here. Are you ready? Are you willing to be my people and for me to be your God and to participate together in this mission to bring the whole world back into a relationship and a, and a um, partnership with God? That is the question that he puts before them. And they say, yes, we are willing. So now we get to Exodus 20 where he says, here is my covenant, my treaty. We're going to find out what that treaty, what that covenant kind of thing is. Now, <clears throat> keep in mind that he was speaking to ancient Israelites and he had to find a way to speak to them in a way that made sense in their context. Um, so he didn't use any of the religious things because they were so messed up with pagan um, things, all of the gods of Egypt and all the gods of elsewhere. He used instead a treaty formula. We'll look at that, a covenant formula between a king and a, and a, a subject people. So I want us to look at this uh, video from the Bible Project. Can we pull that up? It's next. There we go. Um, to talk about what a covenant is and look at the picture of covenant throughout Scripture. Bible Project has great stuff. I think you'll if enjoy you've been this. If you Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend or your father or 
maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many. And he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil. But despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods. They allow horrible injustice. And so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. 
Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham. And so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who is able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who were becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. Hey, this is Tim. And this is John. We think one of the best okay, ways to understand the Bible cut is it to there. think it's We all long for the world to be um, So there's be a whole, whole bunch of other videos that the Bible Project does, and you can go back and review that one. There's a lot in there. Um, and look at other ones about the outline of Exodus and other things um, that are great. But I, I hope you caught that very brief picture of the whole of Scripture, the covenants, from one place to the other that in this one picture of a partnership and a treaty and a covenant together, God has, let's pull up the PowerPoint again. Um, God has made this new opportunity for them to partner together. And through Jesus, who is Yahweh, there's a Trinity here, right? Um, Yahweh has made this, opportunity to do it again. So here is, we're at this place, we've talked about the covenant with Abraham, now we're at this place where Israel is making this commitment, this partnership with him, with Yahweh again. So now, um, kinds of treaties or covenants that were available. So I want you to notice that God is amazing. He speaks the language of the people he's talking to, and he uses the ways that they would understand to make this, and we talked about, he, he did a treaty. Now, there were treaties between equals. So you remember, like, Abraham or Isaac made a treaty with Abimelech and, and you know, partners in their area. Um, if we were making a treaty with Britain, that would be the kind of treaty we're making. Um, there are also royal grants or an unconditional gift. When God gives to Abraham, I'm just going to give you the land, or, or the Noah. He gave the great example of Noah, just saying, you know what, I'm not going to do this again. Noah doesn't have any part that he has to play. And then this covenant, and several of them are this great king and a subject people. So I don't know what we'd compare that to, like, like the U.S. and the Netherlands right after World War II. You know, we just came and rescued your, you from Hitler. Let's make a deal. And let, we'll, we'll promise to protect you, and we'll promise to uh, make NATO, and we'll promise to, to help you. You're all starving at the moment, and, and here's part of the deal. This is kind of kind of uh, arrangement we'll make. Something like that. Um, the, the difficulty, of course, with using any kind of human partnership, treaty, or covenant is that we tend to break them. 
we tend to be like, well, that covenant's fine as long as it's to my advantage. And then when I don't want it anymore, I could get out of it. If it's a marriage, if it's a, if it's NATO, if it's a treaty, we're talking about lots of treaties. We're trying to get out of because we want it to be more advantageous to us. Um, very selfish the way we do our treaties and covenants usually. But you know, one of the partnerships and covenants and treaties that we're used to probably the most, one place where we still talk about covenant is in marriage. And you know, let me, let's just back up here. One of our problems with the Ten Commandments is that basically we say, wait, what do you mean thou shalt not? What do you mean do this? What do you mean no other gods? What do you mean I can't commit adultery? I can't. Who are you to tell me what to do? Basically, that's our whole attitude. As, as individuals, as a country, as our corporate, who are you to tell me what to do? Um, so I'll, I'll, give you an, I'll give you an example of a little thing. I, I, I redid my pavement on my driveway and I parked my cars on the lawn and I got a summons saying, you can't park your cars on your lawn, you've got to get them off of there. I'm like, who said, who said I can't park my cars on my lawn? I don't want St. Paul telling, or whoever it was, which neighbor, who was that that was upset about, you know, that my immediate reaction was, who are you to tell me where to put my cars? And that's kind of our reaction, usually, when somebody tries to tell us what to do, right? Um, and let me tell you, when, um, when I was a friend of Janice's, and we were um, friends, that would have been her reaction, and my reaction. So, I mean, when we were washing dishes, and she was telling me about, you know, uh, her rela- you know, guys she was interested in and different things like that. You know? So if, at that time, I had said to her, so what are you doing this weekend? She would have been like, well, why do you care? Right? And how are you spending your money? She would have been like, what? If I, if I had... So, but it's, this has evolved to a different kind of relationship. Well, it didn't evolve. It, uh, basically, at some point, we got interested enough to make a covenant and a treaty, and a commitment. And from then on, it was like, what am I doing this weekend? You have a right to know. Where did I spend my time today? What did I get done today? You have a right to know. What's, what's happening with my money, your money? It's all our money. We put it all in the same account. She, I put my whole paycheck. I really like, I really like and then she spends it. I, I like it best. <laughs> That's the way I like it because I hate to shop. So if she would just do all the spending, I'd be good with that. Um, and I could just do my work and she'd go to all the, all the shopping. That's good with me. But you see, things change when you enter into a covenant. Right? Things change when you're married from when you're friends or even when you're a girlfriend or boyfriend. Right? Because now, pretty much every day, we get together and say, well, so, you know, what are we doing? What are you doing tomorrow, and how is your day going to be? And then at the end of the day, we pretty much get together, maybe go for a walk or around the dinner table and say, how did your day go? How did that go? How did this go? And we pretty much are in each other's business a whole lot because it's all our business. And even more so, well, one of the big projects we got going on is we're, well, we were missionaries, and that was a joint project. Raising the family was a huge joint project. And we were partners together in raising these kids so it made a difference how we were spending our money. It made a difference what we were going to do, how we were going to discipline them, how we were going to, how we were going to pay for college. What are we going to do with this? How are we going to discipline that? And it had to be a joint partnership to raise these kids. 
God is inviting us into this partnership, like the covenant mentioned, this partnership to bring his blessings back to humanity that has turned its backs on him. So we have a choice. God has delivered. Uh, we're gonna, the choice is, are you going to... It's not an equal partnership because God is not our equal at all. He is the great king who has delivered us, who has done everything for us. We have the opportunity to say, yes, you're my God and we have an agreement and I will do what you say in, in our agreement. So Exodus 20, verse 1 to 23.33 is in the form of a treaty or a covenant between a great king and a subject people from that day, how they would have understood it. So um, it starts with an introduction. It names the great king. And then it gives a historical preamble. Here's the circumstances that lead to this treaty offer. So we came in, we kicked out Hitler, and now we're offering Netherlands an opportunity. He's giving the example of why we're making this agreement. And then it gives the terms. It gives them briefly in ten words, what we call the Ten Commandments usually, and then expanded terms in what's called the Book of the Covenant. Detailed spelling out how that would work out. What does it mean, do not murder, when your ox comes in and gores my... Um, th that kind of stuff. Other parts are also part of that, like a copy. Where is a copy of these records going to be kept? Well, in this case, it's in, on stone in the Ark of the Covenant. How often is it going to be read? Um, usually they call the gods as witness. In this case, it's historical markers. And usually there's blessings and cursings. If you break this covenant, here is what's going to happen to you. And the gods are going to do this to you. Or if you keep the covenant, here's all the blessings that are going to flow out of it. Those are the typical things in this kind of treaty formula between a king and the people who he has rescued or who are under his domain. Following me? Okay. So that's what we're calling it, God's vision for his people in 10 words. And this is going to carry us to December. We're going to talk about these 10 words, um, the specific, the 10 commandments we usually call them, the brief piece, and then we'll pull in pieces from that book of the covenant as well. So let's look at the beginning. Let's start at Exodus 20, verses 1 to 3. Now this is the NIV version. The NLT is what's in your, in your um, bulletin. There it says God gave these instructions. But literally, in the NIV picks it up, is God spoke all these words. They were, that's what we're saying in 10 words. Elsewhere in, in chapter 34, it says, God gave the covenant in 10 words. These 10 words. These words. It actually calls them 10 words. Um, and what I want you to notice is, who is giving this covenant? God spoke. And this is the only place that we really know in this whole thing is that God actually spoke to them from Mount Sinai. Voice to their ears, he said these things. Um, later we see Moses bringing instructions, bringing all, a lot of the other details from God. But here is God to you, and he puts it in the second person, you. You, you, you. It's for the whole people, but he makes it very specific that I am Yahweh, the Lord, your God, your God, your God, you all as a people, but he speaks it specifically to them. I am the Lord. When it's in all capitals, it means Yahweh. I am Yahweh. Do we remember some other times that he said this? 
I am Yahweh, your God. He said that to Abraham. He said it when, when he came to Moses. He said it, the, the Israelites, I'm Yahweh and I'm going to deliver these people. They need to know who is this. This is still part of what they didn't have is knowing really who God was. I am Yahweh, the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So before we get to any instructions, we need to know who this is. And also, who is it to? It's to my people, right? It's to God's people. Specifically the Israelites at this point. And we saw in the covenant thing that we have been grafted in. We are allowed to be part of this Israel so that we can also be participants as God's people. So let me be clear here. This is not for everybody. I think there's some things we get a little confused. So, you know, we have politicians breaking the Ten Commandments and we get upset about it. Are they his people? Did they make a commitment? And some of them, you know, nominally maybe. Some of them not really. So why get upset about it? I actually don't know if it makes a lot of sense to put the Ten Commandments in a public school or a courthouse or other places. It kind of implies that this is what everybody's supposed to obey. And that somehow, if they obeyed it, they would please God. Nope. God's not interested in you ticking off as many commandments as you can most of the time, and then you'll be happy, or he'll, you'll be better. But that's the way we think of it. We think everybody ought to do this. You know, if you, if you stole less, if I could just not steal, not murder, not commit adultery, I'd be good. God would like me. Nope. That's not how it works. How it works is God delivers you. When you were a slave and you could do nothing. Jesus came and died for you when you were under your sins, under the powers, under the world. And he delivered you from all of that. And he said, now, you could be my people. I have delivered you. It's totally grace. Totally grace. It's not about what you do. It's not about how much of these, how many of these you can accomplish most of the time. And Jesus came, in the, we'll talk more about it. He comes in the Sermon on the Mount. Why is it on the mountain? Why do you call it a Sermon on the Mountain? Well, because it's replicating this Sermon on Sinai. And Jesus gives his interpretation of the law. And Jesus makes it tougher. You know, I, I did murder. Jesus said, yeah, but did you hate anybody? You ever see anybody mean about somebody? Well, um, I, oh, I've never committed adultery. Well, have you ever lusted after it? Well, um, and Jesus makes it so that we get the picture of what it was supposed to be and that, you know what? None of us have fulfilled the law. And I'm never going to please God by getting 100% on this test. It's impossible. I, at least, it's not possible for me to do it. I would have to have God empower me to do it. But it's not about, and it never was, about me accomplishing something so God will be pleased with me. So we talk about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. We talk about the New Testament, the New Covenant. And what it is, 
did you notice in the video? It's a new covenant that's a renewal of the old covenant. Through Jesus who was able to do the covenant the way that Israel never could. The way that the sons of David never could. You following me? So it's not that God was letting people into the kingdom by following the law in the old covenant. And then he changed his mind and said, you know what, this isn't working. Let's try something else. Let me send Jesus and then people can get in by grace. Nope. What did Abraham do to get called to be? God just picked him out of, I don't know why. He just said, Abram, I'm going to make this promise to you. I'm going to make a deal with you. You're going to be a partner with me, and we're going to do this thing. And Abram said, okay. And he left. And what did Israel do? They were just in bondage. They were just slaves. They weren't living any different than anybody else. God said, my promise to Abram, I'm going to fulfill in you. And he delivered them. He called them out. So if you're depending upon what you are able to do, in order for God to like you and be pleased with you, I'm, first of all, I'm sure you're frustrated. At least I've been when I've tried that. Second, forget it. You'll never get it done. That's never been how it worked. And when Jesus and Paul are correcting this, they're just going back to what the original intention was. They're saying, you're already delivered. There's no way you can try to get there by doing it good enough. There's no way you can try to keep all the laws and then God will like you. Anybody tried that? Tried to be good enough so that God would like you? No, nobody has. Okay. <laughs> I've tried. And I'll tell you how it went. Pretty bad. Pretty miserable. Especially if you use Jesus understanding of the standard. I don't make it. That's why I need a deliverer. That's why I needed Jesus to come. He came down on Mount Sinai as Yahweh. He came down in the flesh to be with us and to open, as you saw in that, a way for me to get back into partnership with God. Back into the covenant. And wow! God delivered me. God freed me from my slavery. God has done what I could never do. And because of that, I can please Him. Because He's already done the work and made me His people, and I am His people. So it's not like, you know, we already had the wedding ceremony. It's not like I'm trying to be good enough to get married. To... It's not like we're trying to date and I'm like, you know, what, what should I wear so that she'll be impressed with me so that I could, you know, it took me six and a half years to do that with Janice and I, I don't know, she was never impressed. It was really God's grace. Um, <laughs> but uh, I never managed that one either. But God somehow spoke to her and uh, we managed this partnership. Um, we made a deal. And now it's not a matter of when we come home and talk about what did you get done in the day, I'm not like, is she going to divorce me? I didn't get the lawn mowed. You know? I, I don't make enough money. Is she, is she okay with that? You know, we've made a commitment. It's for life. And God's made a commitment to you. You can ditch. You can cheat. You can run. 
But God has made a commitment to you. And if you are willing to say, I will be your people. He's ready. He's on for that. Some of you have, and some of you haven't. Some of you are still dating. Some of you are still considering. Well, you know, God, I think I could trust him most of the time. But I don't know if I want him to, like, tell me what to do all the time. Because I got some things I'm thinking about getting done, and I don't know if he'd like them all. So could I sort of, uh, you know, I mean, we could go steady, I guess. We could, you know, have some good dates. And, uh, you know, I love him, and I like those worship songs, and that's fun. But this is Friday night. There's some things I like too, and I don't know. Couldn't I have, you know, more than one friend? Well, the second line there is, you shall have no other gods before me. It's not an option. He's not willing to be one of your wives or one of your husbands. He's not willing to be one of your kings or one of your gods or one of the things you fear or one of the things you depend on or one of the things you obey or one of the ones who you are following or devoted to. That's not the deal. He gave everything so he could have you, so he could partner with you to make this thing happen. He is worthy of you saying yes. I give you my whole life, all my relationships, all my time, all my plans, all my future, all my past, all my worries, everything I have. He is worthy of that because He has delivered you. But if you're like, well, you know, like the spirituality thing. Here, we're, we're, this is the, the words now, right? Well, I, my spirituality. But, you know, your spirituality is like, you know, I'll take nine of the Ten Commandments or maybe eight and a half and, uh, you know, seven of Buddha's ways. It's pretty good. And a little bit of this and a little bit of that and some, you know, also a little bit of self-help psychology stuff and kind of mix it together, something that makes me get, get by in life. That's not how this works, folks. This is not popular. It's never been popular. You know, this was radical at this time. Because everybody had lots of gods. We'll talk about it. But they had gods to take care of their military. They had gods to take care of prosperity. They had gods to take care of, you know, sex and, and fertility and having children and all the things they, they, they dealt with. That was what everybody had. So this was revolutionary. You're not going to have any of those other gods before me. This is monogamy only. This is only one king, only one husband, one wife, nothing else. And you know what? It's not popular now either. First of all, most of us want to be king ourselves. I... I when it comes right down to it, I want to be in charge. You know, we've said before, when you get in charge, you end up enslaved to some other king, some other god, some other work, sex, um, alcohol, whatever it is. You, you end up trapped by something. That's the way, because we don't have it within us. But he's delivered us from all that. 
We're free. He died on the cross, did all of that so we could be free. But you can still say no. He's done all that to be your king. He's conquered all your enemies. He has come to woo you, and he is ready, but he's not going to push. He's going to woo. He's going to... The question today, before we get into the Ten Commandments, is who are you committed to? Who is your king? You've got to decide, I will do everything you show me because you're my king. As clearly, even if I don't like it, even if I'd like it, you know, if everything was sort of, you know, whatever your thing is. You know, I don't really, the crucifixion thing, that's kind of messy. And, and can't we let everybody into heaven? Wouldn't that be nicer? And wouldn't that, you know, whatever. I, I don't know what you kind of bothers you about the way Scripture is. Now, we can talk about whether, what Scripture teaches about heaven and hell, how you get in, whatever. All that stuff is fine. But if God gives this to you and says, this is the deal, you have to say yes or no. Now, I encourage you to read the whole contract. That'd be good. But then you've got to decide. I'm signing or I'm not. There is no line item veto. Like, well, I, that verse is not so good. I'm not so sure about that piece because that, that makes me uncomfortable. And I have these friends who are kind of, you know, I don't want to be bad to them. So can I take that out? No line item veto here. This is a, I do or I don't. And C.S. Lewis said, in the end, there's only two kinds of people. Those who say, your will be done to God. And to those who God finally says, okay, your will be done. You want to spend eternity away from me? Okay. He woos for our whole lives. He tries different ways to get us to commit. Because he loves us. Because he did all this to deliver us. But he will not force you into a marriage. No forced marriage in this thing. No forced, you're my king. You have an option. He's left it open for you. So, God spoke all these words. Now, these words is technical language for a treaty at the time. I am Yahweh. I am your God. The one who brought you out of Egypt. What has God done for you? Many, many things. Yes. He has delivered you. Even if you don't know it. <laughs> he has delivered you. He is worthy. So, who said this? Yahweh. What did Israel really need? They really needed to know who Yahweh was. That was still their biggest need. He had shown himself he had demonstrated, in the, in the, but now he's giving this revelation of who he is, how we behave if we're going to be with God. He is the one who's delivered them. It's all, all grace. It's all a gift, freely given. They didn't have to do anything to get to this place. And you don't have to do anything. It's not about you being good enough, keeping how many commandments. It's all a gift. They had already said, I do, and now these are the terms. This is how the treaty goes. That's what we're going to be looking at, this book of the covenant. To who? Only his people. As we said, only to you. It's not about 
you know, we love to take the Ten Commandments and judge each other, right? Well, that person isn't very good because look at this, right? And those people, no, no, no. And whether it's politicians, whether it's celebrities, whether it's whatever, we, we like to judge other people by the Ten Commandments. If they haven't signed up, I don't know if you can do that. They didn't sign this covenant. It'd be great. Would it help our society if everybody followed the Ten Commandments? Well, sure. And to be truthful, some of them, all, all cultures in the world say don't commit adultery and don't murder and don't steal. Well, they might define that in different ways, exactly what marriage means and stuff, but everybody says that. But it's, this covenant is not for everybody. Nobody else has to have no other gods. They can have as many gods as they want. But if you are going to be Yahweh's people, no other gods, no idols, the whole list. Why? Not to be saved, not to please him, but just because he's worthy. He's worthy because of who he is, and he's worthy because he's what he's done for you. And he invites you to join him in his mission. To partner with him. That's good enough reasons. So the covenant with Abram has been extended. Then the Lord told him, I am Yahweh who brought you out of Ur, out of the Chaldees, to give you this land as your possession. That was the gift to Abram. 17, this is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So this is not a new thing. He's just making it happen with these people who weren't there. They're being grafted in, just like we get grafted in later. So now, my question today is simple. Before we get into this study that we're going to be studying from now until December, you have to make a decision. Who or what is your king? Who are you going to depend on? Who are you going to fear? Who are you going to love? Who do you serve? Who do you obey? Who or how do you choose your goals, your plans for time, for money, for everything? Will you choose to say, Yahweh is my king, Jesus is my king, he has absolute right to whatever he wants to do, anything he instructs me to do in here, through his spirit, through his people, through whatever he instructs me to do, I already said yes. I said I do. Again, the marriage thing is not a perfect analogy because marriage is a partnership between equals. It's not a king and a subject people. But this is a king kind of relationship. And I'm saying, yes, you get to decide everything I'm doing. So will you choose covenant today? Will you commit? Can I have the worship team come up? Will you commit today? Commit to make God your king and to be his subject. I mean, you, you did that. That was the point when you got baptized. If you remember it. Now, for me, this is something I have to ask myself every day. 
every week, every hour. Is God in charge of where I'm clicking on the Internet? Is God in charge of how I'm spending my time? Is God in charge of how I'm spending my money? Is God in charge of where I'm investing? Is God in charge of all my relationships? Is God in charge? I have to ask that question all the time. Just like Jan and I are asking each other all the time, so what's up? What can I pray for? What are you doing? How can I help? Um, it's It's a daily thing. But the question... This is an initial question. It's a continuing question. Who will you choose? Who gets to use your house or your car? Who gets to use your stuff? Who get, the questions are... basically boiling down to one. And I've said this before. It's, it's stuff, the foundation of the gospel. And as we go on from here... We're going to talk about the Ten Words. We're going to talk about how they were explained. We're going to talk about the Ten Commandments. But if you are not making this commitment, it's not going to make any sense to you. As I say this, you're going to say, well, why does God say that? How come he, what does he think about that? What? That's not right. That's not up to date. That's not, I, I don't know if I can do that. Decide now. If you're in with Yahweh and with his people, or not. Now, you don't have to decide now. You can put off the decision. I'm encouraging you to decide now. You can come next week and consider it. You can listen while we talk to each other about how we do things, how, we, how we're going to have no other gods, how we're going to have no idols, how we're going to um, not commit adultery, how we're going to be faithful, how we, all, all these things. As we talk about those things, you can observe from the outside and say, am I willing to be part of this, people? But the question is still not, can I do that? Do I want to do that? How many of these things? The question is still, is God king? Is Jesus king? Because then if Jesus said, do this, I said yes already. So we're going to sing a song, and I'm going to encourage you slowly, (laughs) carefully, think about this. And if this is your commitment, we're going to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. And then we're going to sing, I bow down to God alone. And I want you, if this is your decision, to stand up as we sing and say, yes, I am in for everything. Everything God has for me. Everything he asks of me, I will do. I am saying, I will, I do, yes. Now and forever. I'm shaking hands, I'm signing the blank check, I'm saying whatever God wants. So let's, let's sing this, and um, I want this to be a, a commitment between you and God. Now it's going to be a public commitment, because you're standing up, but hey, it's a public thing. <laughs> and this, but you know, don't stand up if you don't mean it. Think about it. You can take some weeks. But um, this is the question. If you're in, if you're saying I do, if God is king, Jesus is yours, let's sing this. I have Lord, we're deciding to follow you. Those of us who are standing, and we are not putting any other gods before you.
You are God alone. Go ahead. Lord, we are before you. You have seen the commitment in our bodies, and you've seen the commitment in our hearts, in our minds, and our attitudes. We choose to give you our lives. We choose to say, I do, I will, you are my God. I will follow you and I will do everything you show me and guide me and instruct me to do. Everything you command, I will do by your Spirit's enabling and empowering me to do it. We recognize that we cannot do it on our own. We recognize that you came to help us to fulfill those covenants that you have placed before us. So Jesus, enable us to follow you. We commit now and we ask you to enter into our commitment and fulfill it as only you can do so that we can partner together for the work that you have to do to bless our world. We choose to submit and we choose to bless and, and welcome others to what you have. We choose individually, we choose together to commit to this. And as we move forward in understanding and studying the ten words that you've given us, your vision for us as your people, we commit to do everything you show us to do. Show us, Lord, as we read this, as we study this, as we try to understand your will for us. Enable us to do it. Enable us to understand it. Enable us to follow through in every detail of our lives so that you are king in every moment, every dollar, every time, every relationship, everything we do with our bodies, every place our minds go. May you be in charge. We commit that to you now. Show us the way. We are following you. Jesus, enable us to do that, to fulfill our commitment to you, as only you can. Amen. So now go, in the name of Yahweh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to follow him and do his will. Amen.